Well, good morning. It's great to see you all uh, here. And uh, before I jump into my message, as you can tell, Ryan is here with me. Um, But that's for uh, an important reason, uh, because you're getting ready to go off on your sabbatical for a couple of months. And yeah, and before he left on that, I just uh, wanted to ask you all to just be praying for him for the next uh, couple of months. You know, sabbaticals are really important to us around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the same as a vacation. Uh, and we've been doing this for a long time for our pastors. Every five years, uh, we encourage very strongly for our pastors to go on a sabbatical. And it's just about getting uh, recentered and grounded back in Christ and right. being healthier. And, and so as you go off, yeah. any, any hopes, anything that you're going to be focusing on? Yes. So you guys probably know this just from listening to me for five seconds. I have like a pretty strategic mind that's really busy all of the time. Um, and so when you find yourself, it's just like the nature of work or something. Uh, this happens to me at least. I can get lost in all of the things that have yet to happen and all those pieces and end up getting to a space where you're kind of like, wow, the, like, I have to be at this moment. I have to do this or those types of things. And you've heard me say this a bunch of times, like the world spins on just fine without me and without you, like without each of us. That's a gift because God is far bigger than all of us on that. And there's something about the sabbatical that is going to help me step into that. I've, I've recognized that before and just kind of centering myself back into the best of what God has for me because I think that's what love requires. And stepping back into August in a way where you don't have to, you get to. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and getting to jump into ministry plans is gonna be really exciting. So I'm excited to go. Can I say this really quick? Yes. Yeah, so I'm not quitting. <laughs> and I have to say that because uh, I get asked every now and then, like, so are you quitting? Are you leaving? Is this? No, no, no. I'm, I really am just going on a sabbatical and I'm really, really excited to be back come August. And you guys can all know that. If anybody asks, like if I abandon ship or something. No, no, I love this place and I'm, I'm ready to be back in August. Yeah. So quell all the rumors. You hear them? <laughs> yeah. 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 He'll be back. Yeah. Well, uh, so uh, be just uh, praying for him and his uh, family here. And uh, let me just say uh, a prayer for you before you uh, take off on your sabbatical here, just hours away. Right, tomorrow. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Let let me, let's let's pray for him here. Father, we just, uh, as uh, his church family, we just lift him up in prayer and just just pray um, that during this time that you just nourish his soul and that you do really good things in his heart and his spirit. Um, that just uh, make him a healthier, deeper version of who you created him to be, that as he comes back, that not only will he be uh, just better equipped and prepared to just to serve and be a pastor, but just as a human being, as a dad and as a husband. And uh, we just uh, pray for him in this, and we ask for your blessings on his life, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Um, sabbaticals are something we've done for decades and decades around here and I think it makes for a healthier church uh, that, that, and that's, that's important really really uh, important well um, we've got some wonderful series uh, that I'm excited about that we're going to be diving into this summer but I wanted to take this morning before we dive into those kind of summer series and kind of coming off of last Sunday where we just kind of looked back and reflected on some of the wonderful things that God did uh, is to kind of look forward and just, I want to set a kind of lens as we go through this summer, but then really as we kind of launch uh, in August here. And to get at that, I want to share about two conversations that I had that are really representative of just a multitude of conversations that I've had over the last 12 to 18 months, that there's been this thing that's bubbling up, I think, um, not just here in our church, but in our city, in our culture. I think you'll identify uh, with some of this. And I think it helps set an understanding for why Uh, we are the church uh, that we are. Uh, So one conversation I had, it was right after a service, there was a mom who came up to me and just shared just just kind of a basic worry that she had about her adult daughter. Her adult daughter 
a strong Christian, been a part of churches for a long, long time, but she was just watching her daughter struggle in church. And uh, to the point that her daughter left the church that uh, she was at. And, and she just said, you know, she's always been someone who's trusted Christ a lot, but there's just all these little things. Part of it was there was this idealized notion of what a good mom should be or what a Christian mom should be. And not that anyone was saying that she was bad. It's just she wasn't fitting in. There more and more this idealized version of what she needed to be. And, and she just said, I'm just watching my daughter not fit into that. And it's causing her to struggle with her faith in weird ways. Not, she's not giving up on Jesus, but there's this struggle. And here's the line that she uh, used that, that I want to share with you. Because this line captures what I have been hearing for more than a year now uh, on, a, on a somewhat frequent uh, basis. She said this. She said, I felt like... Um, her, she was being left behind by her church. That somehow something was happening and she just was like, had this feeling of just left behind and it left her in a weird space in her own faith. Uh, another conversation uh, was with a guy that I've known uh, for a fairly long time. And there was a moment this past year where there was an over political moment within the church that he was in that was uncharacteristic for his church, but it's kind of like the church was going that direction more and more. And it was really unsettling for him. But the thing that he shared with me that he said that was even more unsettling was he said, I, it was everyone around me in the, the, the relationships and stuff that I had within that church, I expected them to feel an uneasiness or asking questions like, is this where we're going now as a church? Is this, like, what? And it wasn't, it wasn't what political side it was on. It, it was just this becoming more political in some way. And the thing that felt so weird to him was, it's like I was alone in feeling the weirdness to it. And it's like I just felt like everyone else was cheering on and moving in this more political way that just left me wondering, like, what, what happened to what we were about before? Is that still here? Are we still Christ-centered in the way we were before? Are we, like, it just, and it, and it just left him in a space where he didn't use this phrase, but it's what he was describing. I kind of feeling left out, feeling left behind by my church or religion. And, and maybe you can relate to some of that. Maybe, maybe there's someone that you love or that you care about and, and you can tell that they're struggling in some way, feeling left behind in, by religion or church or maybe it's something you're seeing or maybe you're seeing this in a larger way in, this, in, in the culture that we're in. Um, and I think this is becoming very prevalent uh, right now. Um, there was a song written uh, by a group called uh, R.E.M., back uh, an 80s band. So some of you, I know, like you were, yes, they're 80s, yes. Um, some of you are just like, I, I wasn't even born in the 80s. I just, that's okay, that's okay. But those of you who, you know, know that 80s music is the best music ever made, uh, it's just, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> we still love you if you don't believe that. But, you know, okay. Um, but they, they came out with this song that just flew off the charts, um, and there's a couple of great lines in it. Um, uh, it says, uh, the singer says, that's me in the corner, that's me in the spotlight, what? Losing my religion, yeah. And that whole song, you listen to that whole song, and it's describing this, this tension, this struggle of like, I had this faith and it's not like I've changed in some way. It's like what's happening around me that is causing me to become unsettled in my faith. It's like, like something's happening with religion. Something's happening with my church that's causing me to lose my sense of well-being, my sense of belonging in my faith or in my religion. And you see this in our culture right now in spades. The number of people that are leaving churches, evangelical churches, um, 
uh, are at the top of the list here at rates that we've never seen since they've been uh, uh, looking at this and following it. It's just like there's a struggle here. So many people are feeling left behind. And part of it that uh, people point to, and you'll probably feel this, there's like this polarization going on, right? There's this, like, there's all of these divides and maybe the divides were there before, but it just feels like they're getting more intense and, and there's all this energy and it just keeps pulling people further and further away. And it's not just politics, is it? It's politics, but it's also uh, religion. It's also within family. It's, way, it's at societal level. There's just all of these things, and we feel it. And for so many people, it, it has this way of un, being unsettled and, and, and leaving us feeling like, am, am I being left behind in my faith, my religion, my church, in all of this? And it's easy for us sometimes to think this is unique to now. But it's not, right? That song, uh, even back in the 80s, right? That came out of a real kind of experience. And maybe there's more tension right now, but it's been there. Uh, sometimes it's easy to look at the New Testament and think, you know, um, well, they, they couldn't have had it the way we've got it now. But you know, the reality is the kind of polarization, the kind of tension, the kind of divide was so prevalent in the first century. In fact, in many ways, um, uh, we, what we're experiencing isn't unlike what people in the first century when Jesus came and was uh, going through his ministry is very similar in some ways. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to look at this. I, I want us to go back and maybe better understand the world that Jesus uh, was ministering in because I think that will give us clarity and understanding that there's something about Jesus's approach that, that will give us clarity on our approach, right? As, as we start looking forward in this. And so uh, to do that, I, I want to I point out a couple of different uh, things here. Um, when you think about the, um, the world that Jesus was in, uh, in 40 BC, uh, Rome uh, made uh, Herod the Great the king of the Jews. They actually gave him that title. And so Rome uh, dominated, right? You have the Roman Empire. Is that an E or an I for? Thank you. You know, there's this weird thing that happens. Not this isn't part of the sermon, but just to let you know. Um, I, I lose about five grade levels in my spelling when I get in front of you. I do. And my spelling isn't at a very high grade level to begin with. And so I get in front of you all and it's like, so feel free to help me out. Is it still not spelled right? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Okay. Roman Empire. We're good. Um, they dominated the world. Okay. And you have all the people in the world, uh, in the known world, they're responding to the Roman Empire and its dominance, right? So uh, Herod the Great dies uh, soon after uh, Jesus is born. And he divides it up amongst three of his sons. And it turns the world upside down as these uh, three tetrarchs uh, take control. And it creates all of these different groups that are reacting to the control and dominance of the Roman Empire. And I, and I want you to see some of these uh, groups. So the first group would be uh, a group called the Essenes. And the Essenes, um, they looked at the world here and they were like, the world is corrupt. People are corrupt in the world. And, and they were a real fearful group. In fact, in a lot of ways, the Essenes, um, they, you think of them as they were kind of like extreme religious fundamentalists, right? Like if you've ever been uh, 
driving down a, a road or walking downtown or on a campus someplace and there's someone that has like a sign, like a sandwich sign that says, the world's gonna end tomorrow, you know, repent now. That's kind of like that. That's the level that the Essenes uh, were at. The, lots of fear and just like, and so their thing was, uh, the world is corrupt. People are corrupt. And here's how you, you've got to deal with it is their thing was, um, we're going to avoid. If you don't want to be corrupted, you've got to get away from people. And so their whole mode was avoid. Now I can't spell anything. Um, was, was avoid, avoid people, avoid the world. And they actually went off and they tried to create their own little communities uh, out where they wouldn't have to be with people at all. That was their way of dealing uh, with uh, the Roman dominance uh, in all of this. And just for fun uh, this morning, I want us to do a thing where, uh, just to help you remember these, because I'm going to go through five different groups here, just to help you remember these different groups, I'm going to give you some hand motions on this, right? We're going to do some hand motions together so that it'll help you remember. Are you excited? Yes. Oh, I love this. Yes. So when you, when you think about the Essenes, right there, they're like, ah, the scary group, like take your hands and just like shake them like, ah, yeah. And you can do the sound with it if you want, but that's the, that's the Essenes, right? So when you think of the Essenes, it's like, ah, we got to get out of here. Yes. Very good. Right? So their whole thing is avoid, avoid. And they would try to pull people in this, right? They would see people in the world and they're like, if like, if you want to be okay, if you want to be safe, if you want God to love you, you gotta, you've got to avoid the rest of the world or you're going to be corrupted, right? So that's the Essenes. Then there was a group uh, that we know uh, probably the most about. They're talked about the most in scripture. Uh, and that was the Pharisees, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, a uh, fairly large group, and they looked at the world and they said, yeah, all these people here, yeah, that, they're corrupted. They're a problem. But uh, we're not trying to avoid them. We need to change them, right? So their whole thing is we're going to pull people here and it's all about uh, what I'm going to call religious control. Control, right? We're going to control people. Um, and so uh, they, and one of their dominant ways, you see this in the New Testament, is they had like all of these things with rules and uh, lots of guilt and shame. They're just, they had uh, more rules than you can imagine. And it was always about uh, motivating people out of this sense of guilt or shame. And there's always like pointing the finger. Like, da, da, da. So the hand motion for them is what? Yeah, that's right. So we've got the Essenes and then we've got the Pharisees. And it's like, and you're like, you're bad. Like you need to shape up, right? And they pulled people in uh, to this and they looked at what Rome was doing with the world. And again, part of their response to this is we're going to, we'll, we'll fix it, but we're going to do it because we're going to control people. And uh, you see a lot with the Pharisees uh, in the New Testament. Um, they, it always bothered them, right? That Jesus would eat and hang out with sinners. And, and he wasn't like, it's like, you need to let those sinners know like how bad they are. And that like, and, you know, if you don't exert some control, Jesus, like it's just, you know, and they were bothered by this. Now, another group uh, that we see in the New Testament were the zealots. The zealots. And the zealots, they would have looked at the Pharisees, right? And they would have said, you just don't go far enough in this, right? And they looked at the, what Rome was doing in the world. And for them, it's like, we don't just need to control people. We need force, right? We, we're going to take this the next level. Um, and so they were all about force force, right? And they pulled people in and it's just like, and their thing is, and if you're not for us, you're against us, right? And their thing was, you know what Rome needs? You know what will fix all of this for everybody? The violent overthrow of Rome. If it takes violence, we will do violence. And they, they were willing to commit violence. In fact, they were known for, uh, for carrying out assassinations against Roman officials. And they did it, they had a very particular way. There's a little bitty dagger, and in Greek it's called an iscaret. And they would, and it was easy to hide. And if they could get close enough to a Roman official, uh, they would simply pull that thing out and it was just like, whoosh, and they would stab them, right? And they literally carried this out. Uh, and they were known for this. So the, the hand motion for them is just like, 
Do, you can do the Nike swoosh sound with it if you want. Like, whoosh, right, yeah. So that was their thing, right? It's just like, yeah, we, that's what we're going to do. And um, you see them talked about in the New Testament. And they had an answer for what needed to happen in the world. Now, um, on a completely different side of the continuum here, uh, there was another group. Let me go to this group. They were known as the Herodians. And the Herodians... They looked at Rome, uh, and these were primarily uh, Jews who looked at how Rome was running its system, kind of a Greco-Roman worldview of, of everything, and they were like, that is the answer. You know what we need? We need people to stop doing all of this stuff and mucking up the works, and we need people to get behind what Rome's trying to do. If version of this... Um, then everything would be okay, right? And so they tried to pull people forward in this, and what they wanted was a kind of political control, right? So when they looked at people, like they, they, you know, when they looked at people, they saw votes, right? And they didn't literally vote, but they saw, like, you need to support this. And they, that was their agenda, because that's how they wanted to deal with all the people. We, like, and the pressure that Rome was putting on is like, we, we need a more pure version of what's happening uh, with Rome in this. And so uh, for them, it was about, you know, bend the knee. Now, I could have us all get up and like bend the knee for a motion, but let's not do that, okay? Instead, we'll just do like a crown, right? Because they were for the, the Romans, right? So do a crown, okay, yeah, that's right. There you go. Um, and I don't know what sound goes with a crown. Maybe, <coughs> I don't know. That wasn't very good. I just made that up just now. <laughs> um, but the Herodians, uh, right, they, and, and they were a force to be reckoned with, right? They pushed this agenda on other uh, Jews. Now, one more group that I want us to think about here, uh, and that was the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, um, they... They were, they were different than the Herodians in that they didn't believe in the Roman system. Um, but they were also different than the Zealots because they were like, we're, we're fools if we think we can overthrow the Roman Empire. And you know what that'll do? That'll just create misery. So kind of the motto of the Sadducees could be, right? If you can't beat them, what? Join them. Yeah. So maybe we can't overthrow them and maybe we don't like everything they're doing but let's work with them and get everything out of them we can, right? That was their thing in this. But here's how this worked for the average person living in the area of Palestine, the whole region where Jesus uh, was doing his ministry, was by working with Rome, they got a lot of authority. Rome let them collect taxes. Rome let them run the temple. There was great revenue in that. They became kind of the aristocrats, aristocrats of, of, of all of the Jews. And so when they looked at people, um, for them, it, it became about what, what you know, we're, we're going to use them, right? We're going to use them. People became objects to them. People just became one more way to get something from you. We don't care about people, but um, we can tax you. We can take advantage of you. And it was all about the wealth, what they would get out of that. So here's the, here's the motion for them, right? So uh, that's, that's how they dealt with Rome. And what you understand is everyone living in this world, they were feeling the tug and the pull from all of these different uh, groups here. And when you think about that, right, and let's go through this, right? The Essenes, you've got the fear of the, ah, right? And you've got the guilt of the Pharisees, right? And you've got the violence of the, you know, of the zealots. Yeah, y'all are doing good with this, right? Um, with the Herodians, you know, we're going to go with this thing, that, you know, um, there we'll, we'll just live with them. And then, of course, with the Sadducees, it's just like, I don't know, yeah, get a little closer. Let me see what I can get from you, right? And and 
they were living all pulling in different directions oftentimes, right? It's easy to imagine how the zealots uh, and the Herodians would just be at odds over each other. But it occurred with all of these other groups, right? As the Pharisees are trying to control people and pull them back into the culture, you know, the, Hero- the, the Essenes are just like, no, let's, let's just get out of here. And there would be conflict between the Pharisees and the Sadducees as the Pharisees just like, you know, like it's, you know, you're not pure enough. You know, you're, you're taking advantage of this. You need to run the temple differently in this thing. And they were constantly being pulled in different directions with all of this. And, and what I want you to understand is when all of these different groups are looking at this, right? These two words, the word they had a problem with wasn't empire. The problem they had was with the Roman empire. Because the reality is, their mindset, what they were looking at was, the Essenes are saying, we, we want an Essene empire. We want a pharmaceutical empire, right? If we, if we can exert enough control, right, and we get to knock Rome out of there, and for everyone we have influence with, it's a, just let us have our way and it'll all run great. Unless you're a zealot or an Essene or a Herodian or a Sadducee. And then you're like, we don't like your system. And of course, the Sadducees are like, well, we'll find a way to finagle some control from the Romans and we'll have more of a Sadducee kind of empire. And just everything will be okay. Unless, of course, you're a Herodian or a Pharisee or a Zealot. And it just became this constant struggle. And in the midst of this polarization and people being pulled in all of these different directions, it get exhausting where people are. Because in the end, all of these systems were built off of fear, control, in power, right? That was Rome. Rome had, Rome had what it called the Pax Romana, right? Which means the peace of Rome, right? There's peace in the land. How did Rome get that peace? Fear, control, and power. And all of these groups kind of played the same game, trying to replace Rome with their version of this. But no matter who had, you know, power in what little subregion or whatever else, it continued to just leave people exhausted and disillusioned and feeling left behind. You, you know what happens here? It, what happens is, um, you're left with this group of people that are living in, in the stress and the anxiety of this, and it's everyone else. Everyone else, right? If the Pharisees are dominating at some point, it's great for them, but everyone else is like left in this place that that's disheartening and difficult. And I point this out because this is the world that Jesus stepped into to start his ministry. And if you look at this and you're going, I can kind of relate to that, right? Because we could put our groups from today in here and we, like, we'd go on and we'd have a bunch of groups that we'd put up there pulling and tugging and fighting and jockeying for power messages of fear, right? People back in this day, they were bombarded with messages that ginned up fear. But fear creates energy, doesn't it? Right? The Essenes, you know, like, uh, like, you know, if you, you're going to be corrupted if you, like, you know, it's just like, um, you know, if you don't do something with all the wrong that you've done, God's going to judge you harshly. Like, it just, they all had their own version of fear all trying to pull on people and create control. And this is the world that Jesus enters into. And what I want you to see here is how does Jesus go about 
moving his ministry forward in this kind of world? Because in some ways, it's kind of like our world, isn't it? So I want you to look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. I want to just point out one passage uh, here this morning, Matthew chapter 9. And we get this really clear picture of what Jesus does. He comes in and he begins his ministry. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. So when he just, right, he, he is, um, he's traveling in all these different areas where these different groups of folks are living, where they've got their, right, they're the, they're strongholds, so to speak, where, where they're the dominant influence in that area. And he says, so Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. He goes in preaching the good news of the kingdom. I, this is fascinating to me. Jesus has got a kingdom, right? There's, he's wanting to start something. He's wanting to build something. And so Jesus enters into this world, right? And there's something that he wants to do. But notice, um, he's not really wanting to build an empire. In fact, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he says things like, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He's not trying to take the top spot. He's not trying to be the power broker. Um, Jesus never once ever said, okay, got to overthrow the Romans. Never said that. He never pulled his disciples together and said, okay, the Sadducees control the temple. Like, we, we, we've got to find a way to make some of you Sadducees the, the top influence. We, we need to get control of the temple. Didn't do that. Like, it's like he stepped in from the bottom. He stepped in as a servant. Like so different. Because he wasn't into building an empire. Like this is the shocking thing that you see in Jesus. Uh, he, he goes on in this. Look at verse 36. Right? So here's Jesus. He's ministering to all these different cities and towns uh, that have all these different groups. In verse 36, it says, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, of course, of course they seemed like they're harassed and helpless because they were living in this world. That's why they seemed that way. Jesus... I mean, this should be remarkable to us. Like, we think about it. He's going from village to village to town to town. And he's like, man, what I look at, I'm looking at people that just, right? The Pharisees have got control and you're in a scene. Like, you're, you're left out, right? And even if you are a Pharisee, like, you're still living under this fear and this control and this, you know, thing, right? He's looking at a world, right? And let's think of this, Right? It's a world where it's like, start with this, right? The Essenes, it's like, ah, right? To the Pharisees, like, right? To the Zealots, who are just like, okay, we're going to go on to the attack. Or the Herodians, no, let's just, you know, we're, we got to bow the knee, right? Or the Sadducees, and it's just like, you know, just, you know, get what you can, right? That's the world. That's the world. And how does Jesus respond? He looks at these people. He looks at everyone else. He doesn't avoid them. He doesn't try to control them religiously. He doesn't try to force them. He doesn't push them in a particular political direction. And he's sure not there to use them. It says he has compassion on them. He sees people. And the dominant thing you see in his ministry, in every place he went, is for Jesus, it was how do I love people that are caught as everyone else in the middle of this whole thing. My kingdom starts down here. 
Because it's not an empire. I'm not trying to control anybody. I'm not trying to use anybody. I'm not trying to force people. I'm not trying to get away from them. I see people that are harassed. It's like they don't have a shepherd. But in one sense, of course they had a shepherd. Some of them had, you know, shepherds that were like Essenes. And some of them had shepherds that were like Pharisees or zealots and so forth. But the way they looked, the way they lived was as if they didn't have a shepherd. And so Jesus has compassion on them. This is his model of ministry in this whole thing. It becomes a radical different way of how to build something in this world because this world is all about, right, who gets to have the top spot or the controlling spot of the empire. And Jesus just says, I'm just not in the empire building business. I'm trying to build a kingdom of a very different kind. And so then he says to the disciples, don't miss this. He says this to the disciples. Look back at verse 38. He says this. Send out workers into this harvest. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed a whole part. Go back. Go back. Because it gets even better. Look at verse 37. Verse 37. He says this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I want you to imagine just for a second, you're one of his disciples, right? And this is the world you've been living in, right? The pull and the tug and think of the disillusionment and the people that are just beat down by this and exhausted by this. And Jesus goes, guess what? The harvest is plentiful, right? Good news, guys. Like, it's just, we're going to step in and just start pulling people in, right? They're just, it's, and if you're one of his disciples, you're like, huh? Right? We're here, like, doing this spiritual thing. Jesus, have you seen what's going on in the world right now? Like, do you understand? I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, the disciples, I'm sure the disciples were like, uh, Jesus, you know, out of all those groups, like, let's see here. Yeah, there's people in this group that want to kill you. Yeah, the Pharisees. Oh yeah, the Herodians. Yeah, they want to kill you, right? That's right out of the New Testament. Oh, and also the Sadducees, they want to kill you. And what they didn't know was coming was eventually it would be one of these guys, Judas was a zealot and he's going to betray you. Oh yeah, you're popular. Yeah, the harvest is rich for you. And I mean, these guys, they're just trying to get away from you, right? I, like the disciples would be like, what? The harvest is plentiful? Are you kidding me? This seed, like, how are we going to do this, right? Now, you and I, we might look at this. And if I were to say to you, guys, I mean, it's right out of the New Testament. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, right? Here we are. We're a Christian church. Let's go, right? This is going to be easy to pull people in. And you would go, Glenn, are you crazy? Do you, like, right? Think about it, right? We're a church, Glenn. Like, how many people are, like, at work are just like, just, who wants to have a religious conversation these days, right? Yeah, like, when's the last time someone knocked on your door and you were just like, oh, I'm, I, I hope it's someone here to try and convert me to their religion. That would be great. Yeah, a couple months ago, uh, someone knocked on my door and I ran, I was kind of excited. I ran over, I opened up the door with a big smile on my face and then I was so disappointed because it was someone there. It wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, right? Because they're usually the ones that knock on my door. Uh, it was someone else from a, you know, a different uh, church uh, trying to convert me and I was just like, oh man. I just Now I didn't say this out loud because I was trying to be, you know, loving like Jesus at this point. But on the inside, I was like, uh, I so thought you were the FedEx guy. Because <laughs> I had ordered a package and I was so excited for it to get here. And I opened the door and it wasn't the FedEx guy. And the other thing I said to myself in there is just like, you know, if I would have known it was you, I would have pretended like I wasn't even home and I never would have answered the door, right? Because 
I'm so excited about, you know, having those kinds of conversations. And I bet if I were to say, yeah, aren't you excited? Don't you just feel like you just go have spiritual religious conversations with just your neighbors and people you meet at the store and work? Like, that'd be fun. Let's all go do that right now. You'd be like, mm, I don't think so, right? That's, or how many people do you know that are just like, I'm so excited. Election season's almost here. The commercials, you know, the debates, all of the, the, the right? No, we're just like, I'm so, I don't, because we feel all of this going on. And so when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, I'm sure the disciples were like, Jesus, you've been smoking something? Because, ah, man, what? But here's the thing. If your view is an empire-building kind of view, then yeah. There's, right, the harvest is scarce because there's tons of competition. And you got all these people that are worn out and exhausted and skeptical. But if you're not trying to build an empire, and this is why I think Jesus said what he said, it was precisely because he understood his world that he said, you know why it's plentiful? Because I'm trying to build a kingdom. Well, it's about love. John 3, 16, right? He's with a Pharisee when he says John 3, 16. And he says, guess what? God came into this world not to control it the way everyone's been telling you to do this, Nicodemus. You know why I came into the world? Because they're hurting. Because I see it. I have compassion. I came into the world because I love everybody else. That's why I came in the world. That's my mission. That's what I'm about. And you know, when you think about a world that's living in this space, there's something really beautiful and appetizing about this kind of kingdom. A place where, I don't know, acceptance reigns. Love freedom, right? When those things are at the heart of the values, all of a sudden, it's like you couldn't be better positioned to reach people. This is what Jesus understood. Jesus is looking at this and saying, guys, the harvest is plentiful because we don't care about an empire. We're building a kingdom that is about loving people into trusting me. That's what we're about, see? And so now he goes on. Now that verse I was talking about, right? He goes on and he says to his disciples, right? In verse 38, he says, send out workers into, the har into his harvest field. He's saying, go out there, but follow me. Go the direction I've, that, like, that I've modeled for you. And that's us. This is the church. He's sending us out not to build an empire. Not, not to try. And here's the thing, friends. The gospel doesn't get advanced out of political control, religious control, avoidance of people that maybe seem scary to us. It doesn't come because we try to use force. It doesn't come because we collaborate. It comes because we love people in a way that was modeled to us by the person that loved us. That's our way in all of this. That's the thing. But here's the deal. I get pulled into this at times. There's something about the world we live in. You know, when you think about a worldly system, you know, when the world talks about, you know, when the scripture talks about the world or worldly systems or, you know, the problems, you know, it's talking about this kind of system. Now, in this world, and let me say this, there's nothing at all wrong with going out and voting. There's nothing at all wrong with being political. And I, that's a good and healthy thing. I, 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 right? Wonderful. Have your views, vote, do all of that. 
Don't mix this up though. Don't think that political means or social uh, views or culture wars advances the gospel. The gospel gets advanced one way and it's through Jesus, through love. That's what Jesus modeled for us. And when we get pulled into these other things, it just doesn't work. And there is 2,000 years of history where we get to see where churches used this, churches used this, and I promise you, history gets really ugly when you see what happens when Christians try to use control or force or fear to advance the gospel. It doesn't work. So, a couple of things here. I, I want to just close with a, a couple of things about application as we're looking forward and the kind of church that we want to be and the kind of church uh, that we have been and where we're going in all of this. A couple of things uh, here in applicating this that, that I want to encourage all of us in. The first one is this. And I'm going to speak directly to us as a church. Embrace the uniqueness that is Casas. There is a uniqueness. I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss this because in a world where there are so many churches, so many religions that are pulling towards these other things, long before the thing that we're in right now, God was leading us to becoming more and more of a church that would say, we're not gonna use political means, we're not gonna use force, we're not gonna use guilt, we're not going to try and advance the gospel through those things. When we re rewrote our mission, we we wrote it in a way that reflected the journey that God had brought us on. Loving people into, right, the acceptance and freedom of Jesus Christ. That's our way. That's who we are. And there's a uniqueness in this. Starting before I became the senior pastor here at this church, I remember discussions and prayer that we had with the elders and the Casas Council, with the pastor team, of stepping further and further away from being a, a political kind of church. And you know why? Well, I remember being in a meeting and, and we talked about this. We just realized, you know what? Like, when we get pulled into these moments during election cycles or whatever, and we start advocating for something that we think is good or right, it's kind of like we pick a side. And what we instantly do is it's like we draw a line and what we say to all the people that we want to reach, we're for you. And we're like, we don't want to be that. I don't care what your political leanings are. I want you to have a place here, right? And we started shifting in that way, moving that way and saying, this, this is what makes us an effective church for the kingdom of God. And that we're going to stay out of culture wars. We're, we're, if you have to force someone into what you believe is moral, if you have to force someone to believe what you believe is right, you've already lost the battle because you're playing the empire game. You know how, you know how lives change? When you love them in a way that changes their heart and nothing, nothing changes this world in a more powerful way than when you change someone's heart. That's who we're going to be as a church. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that I get to be a part of a tradition of leaders before me and with me and in the future that embrace this and do this. Now, one more thing, and I'll close, I'll close with this thing here. Um, don't let your mission get dragged back to an empire. And, and here's why I say this, okay? Because there's moments when we live in this but all it, right, all it takes is one conversation, one political conversation. Someone walks into the office and they're like, oh my gosh, did you hear about dot, dot, dot? And you're like, oh, and you feel that it's like, oh my gosh, is everything going to be, we better get, you know, the, oh my gosh, my screen went away. <laughs> now, don't be thinking that that's God's signal to me to just wrap this up right now. <laughs> that's just a technical glitch. Okay. <laughs> now, Seriously, though, 
right? There can be a moment where it's just like you're centered back in this thing. You're just like, okay, we move forward in love and I'm gonna give room for people to believe differently than me. I'm gonna give room to another Christian brother or sister to have a different political leaning than me. I'm gonna learn how to love someone who maybe isn't even a Christian. Uh, they're way different than me. That believe. I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to see people with compassion and to see them as people and then all it takes is one moment, right, where there's someone who goes, oh, and they say something to you, and there's that fear of, like, stepping back to this. And, you, and, I, and we all feel this. We're all going to experience this. And what I want to say is, um, take a deep breath and come back and just put your eyes on Jesus. And let him be your model. Not me, not what I'm saying up here. But you look back at how Jesus lived his life, who he spoke to, who he loved, the stances he didn't take and the stances he did take. And you let that be your guide. Let that pull you away from building an empire and spending your time living out of his kingdom, friends. Um, and, and you... Right? That, will, that is our true north. It is Jesus. And it starts down here. And we love upward in this. Let me, I want to read to you. I want to just close with this. Uh, I want to go back to um, John 3.16, right? We know John 3.16 uh, really well. But I want to read to you John 17, the following verse. He says this, right? He says, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We're not here to condemn anybody. We're not, like, we're not here to force or control because that wasn't even Jesus' point. It was to love them into his acceptance and his freedom. And friends, I promise you this. As we live out of that, we couldn't be better positioned to be the most beautiful thing in the world for a world that's living in the chaos of all of those things. We, like, there's reason to be hopeful. There are more, there's gonna be more people to reach with every create crazy election cycle that's gonna occur, right? There's gonna be more people to reach and to do beautiful things in no matter what happens with all the empire builders in the world around us. We stick to that, and we, it, like, and we will look back with joy on what God has done with us here at Casa. So I'm out of time. Why don't you stand up, and I'm going to close this in prayer. And let me just say, if you're new here, you kind of picked a good Sunday to figure out if this might be your kind of church or whatever. If you're new or we haven't ever had a chance to meet or shake hands or whatever, I'm going to be right over here and I would love to just uh, shake your hand this morning. Let me, let me pray. Father, I just, uh, I thank you for the vision of your son, Jesus Christ, and the way he lived his life. And I pray that you embody a kind of deep confidence in all of us in what it means to trust Jesus and his way in our lives, and how we live out um, your calling on us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.